Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business, and I think we've done it. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset that was originally used in the Gutenberg Press. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. Everything else was printed in regular type. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify Black Letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. Hi, welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. I'm Tom Dunlap, your Black Letter host. This month, we're celebrating January with an entertainment and media podcast. I've got with me Kurt Klaus, a partner at Dunlap, Bennett, and Ludwig. Kurt runs the practice there, uh, has industry experience and law experience both wrapped into one package. And then I've got with me Mikhail Chowdhury. Mikhail is both an attorney in the United States, uh, a solicitor in the UK, which is another word for lawyer. And there's a lot of other words for lawyer, but that's a nice one. And he's also a film producer, creator, director. He's doing an independent film project right now. And that's what we're going to talk about today, Mikhail's project. We're going to get some advice from Kurt on challenges Mikhail's faced. And uh, they met in Washington, D.C. at the Woman in Film event where Kurt was a speaker. And with that, I'm going to start by asking Kurt if you would first just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. And then we'll jump over to Mikhail. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Yeah. Um, Kirk Klaus, I have been a lawyer for only uh, 25, 26 years now, but I've been involved in entertainment for almost 40 years. Uh, prior to the practice of law, I worked in recording studios and worked on commercials in Nashville, Tennessee, and then got into feature film production work. I uh, worked on about four feature films. And uh, from that, then went on to get a master's in advertising uh, because a lot of the clients I was shooting commercials for um, had issues that arose and I was just curious about it and decided to research the creative process and the creative management and what research goes into making a great commercial. After that, law school and have been working in entertainment in Nashville and later as an executive in a media company and now back in the private practice of law in the Washington, D.C. area, but uh, still hold five uh, jurisdictions where I'm licensed to practice, including Tennessee, New York, Connecticut, uh, Maryland, and Washington, D.C. All right, great. And Kurt, what was the studio that you worked for? What what uh, media company were you? So at? there was a company called Southern Productions, and Southern okay. Productions is located uh, right down in the heart of what's called the Gulch of Nashville. The building no longer stands there, but the Gulch is a really hot area right now. And uh, we had, I guess, uh, a full blown three D animation studio, a lot of uh, high end editing, um, and there were four or five staff involved. In our okay. Clients were mostly national and regional clients. The Gulch, though, I, I feel like they should maybe reconsider the branding. Yeah. Come to the Gulch. <laughs> Go to the Gulch. Hang out at the Gulch. So, Mikhail, uh, <laughs> why don't you give us a little, little bit about yourself? I know you're a former actor as well, so you can feel free to ham it up and, and sell yourself as much as you want. But tell us a little bit about your background and what you're working on. Sure. Well, thank you for having me, and thanks for sure. that, um, that introduction. I feel quite um, undeveloped compared to Kurt's CV, that uh, resume that he just had there, but yeah, so I um, I actually started off, well, currently I am uh, an attorney. I'm assistant general counsel with Sodexo for North America, which is uh, a global business. I started with them in the UK about 10 years ago, then was at their group HQ in Paris and have been out here in uh, in the US for about three years now, which is great. Um, 
my background originally in performance was music, actually, and then I did acting in, in stage stuff when I was at college. I uh, moved into writing and directing theater, and then uh, when I was sort of in my 20s, I went and made uh, a few things, including a, a sort of a zero-budget guerrilla feature, which, um, which ended up in a couple of film festivals in the States, had a couple of theatrical screenings in the UK and LA and New York as well. So did you have actual guerrillas in it? They were, <laughs> no, no, they, they were they were student actors, so they might as well have been in terms of the point. <laughs> no, I, sh I shouldn't say they're all friends of mine. Many of them still friends of mine. That that film, by the way, until is, now, yeah, until now. <laughs> them yeah, right. that film, by the way, though it is listed on IMDb and the BFI catalog and everything like that. Um, there's no there's no copies online as I'm aware of so far because I don't want anybody to ever watch it. So I think what it was it, what's the name of the film? It's called The Party. The Party, yeah, okay. which means it hides conveniently because there are so many films called The Party. A couple so other fine. Yeah. films with that name. Yeah, so we, we get away with it for that one. But um, yeah, that one, it was, very, it was a very student thing, but it was a great experience because I had to go with a budget of less than $1,000, had to wow. go and manage to get hold of some gear, had to go and get a cast in, had to write a screenplay, which I'd never written before, yeah. did it, and then had to edit it. I mean, the whole, and as an exercise, it's one of those things you could romanticize it when you're younger though it wasn't that much fun we were like you know i had to sneak into like the editing suite of the art college that a mate of mine gave me the code to get into because he right. was studying there and he had to go in before class started at 6 a.m then after it closed in the evening and and do it so everything was a learning exercise but it's a great thing to do because then you got everything you had to right. do it all you had to do it all from scratch had to pick it up on the way but, um, but in parallel to that and then doing some stuff and i, I had a couple of scripts in la which uh, again quite a long time ago but they were one was option then not option another one was almost option and uh, in parallel to that i was becoming a lawyer and so i'd always i'd done a law degree at college i'd always wanted to be a lawyer and uh and i have a you know a background which is which is includes bangladeshi and south asian um so there was uh, also an impetus to get a real job and a proper profession so wow. that. so okay so i did so over the years i then went back and forth between kind of pursuing the law career doing law college in the uk law school going through everything, qualifying, doing that. And then periodically I'd do sort of more theater or I'd make a couple of short films. So I did a couple of short films as well, one which I uh, produced and co-directed, one which I sort of wrote, one which I AD'd on and things and had a couple of plays on as well uh, while I was being a lawyer and doing that as well. So yeah, it's kind of been in parallel. One takes a little more than the other and, and did that. And then, uh, yeah, and then the last few years came to, came to DC and it is, and it is a credit to actually to the, the people in, in DC and the States generally that I came over without any contacts here, without knowing anybody and expected to just be sort of focusing purely on the job and not really doing anything else of that and uh, ended up managing to, managing to fall into some stuff. I made uh, one of my very good friends is a guy called Paul Wharton. He's a TV lifestyle expert. He produced a show on MTV called Made many years ago and uh, I helped him edit a book he was doing because I said I'm a writer and I've done that. And we ended up actually producing a, a lifestyle special, um, sorry, a holiday special uh, about a year and a half ago with Patty wow. Lavelle, which okay. was great. Yeah, we got nominated for an Emmy for the Capitals for that. That's which fantastic. Was cool. So you're an Emmy nominated That's fantastic. producer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which I guess you would say, yeah, technically, it sounds more, it all sounds very cool when you say it out loud. And, yeah. then, well, uh, and then the whole that's time. That's what we're all about. Right? <laughs> right, making it sound cool. Yeah. But, but no, but I, I just think I'm really lucky because, you know, I get I think to, we need to lead with that like, Emmy-nominated producer, Mikhail Chowdhury. Yeah. It all feels a bit funny. I, yeah, I, I just feel very lucky because I really, I think it as well. I do like being a lawyer. I like being an attorney. I work for a great company. I really have a good time with that. Um, and it's really lucky to do be able to do that. Do you think they're watching this? Because 
Is that what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah there are a few that maybe people can't see this, but there are people behind the camera watching me right now. Right, they're reporting. <laughs> yeah, reporting back on that. They have like little Sodexo. Yeah, um, just keep it. Right. We're all bugged naturally. Yeah. There's a tracker. Doesn't need the cue cards, right? So, so Mikhail, <laughs> what are you working on right now? So you and Kurt met at Woman in Film uh, Festival in Washington. And you were working on a film project, an independent film project, I think. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, so tell I, us about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So, and the the women of film video that they have a they have a conference every year called Script DC, mm-hmm. which was great. And I have to say, uh, you know, credit to your firm because you guys do a talk at that event. And there was one on equity financing, which was interesting to me because I'm working on this feature project, which I'm trying to get made. And uh, I think you were supposed to do, but you had a conflict with court and things like that. But Kurt stepped in and did a great talk. So we had a chat afterwards, and that's, yeah. that's how we had it. So. Thank you again for sharing, you know, the knowledge that you guys have, which is useful. Um, the project that I'm working on is it's based on a true story. It's a feature length drama based on the true story of a friend of mine, um, or someone I, I know very well from high school. And, uh, they were actually forced into a marriage when they were a teenager, um, which they didn't want to have. And there's a, there's a whole story around it where essentially they. They took these steps to... As a teenager, they were forced into a marriage? Exactly. In what yeah. country was this? Uh, so they were in the UK, but they're originally from South Asia. And uh, they, they're not allowed to do that in the UK, are they? You're, not, you're, not, allowed, you're not allowed to, but well, and it's a, well, it's a really interesting point that brings up, which is why I think... I just like totally took a right turn. No, Sorry, no, no. very curious. No, but seems with like... It. And it's really interesting because I think that's why the story really actually appealed to me. And that's why actually I feel a lot of impetus to try to make it. As much right. As, it always sounds... Creative go like, I felt the pressure to make the story. And I never want to be that guy <laughs> who's like, it called to me in the night. No, I mean, I'm not, and, and there are friends of mine who say But it did like a bit. And they, they're right. very nice, but, you know. But but, just don't say that. Yeah, you know, say just, that. Just let it be implied and then let people draw their own conclusions. A friend of mine, high school forced marriage. I think we, you know. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. It, it speaks to you. Exactly. Sure. It's something that's yeah. there and it's incredible. And I, um, and the, and the, the truth is that this is something that actually happens more than I think we realize. And it's cross-cultural in a weird way. So we have, although she comes from a South Asian background and, um, and they were, and there's a thing where insert, I mean, there's always, I think, various cultures where parents want their kids to marry certain types of people. That's a standard thing across the line. But generally in the U.S., at least you can't make them do that. Can't. Right. In fact, usually kids go the other way. Yeah. They're like, nope, not doing that. It's just a hard cultural tie at Familial reputation, those types of things, yeah. is yeah, causing it, it, to, it is to be to a degree. Although it's not officially, it's not sanctioned by the government. It's forced in a different way. Yeah, and that's uh, what the film's about. Yeah, you're completely right. I mean, this is the thing: you can't account for the family pressure that comes onto it. So obviously, no one's legally forcing them to marry. I see. No one's doing that. It's a it's a case that she is, and in this particular culture, then, it, uh, and I think it cuts across a lot of cultures actually. But the in this case, then what happened was there was expectation to go back to the country where her parents were from. Um, and then marry um, someone who was essentially going to be sort of in the village and they had known for a long time and it was just expected and that was it. And the big fear was that, well, if they don't do that, then they're going to go off and do something crazy and then it'll bring a lot of embarrassment to everything. Or what if they just go nuts? Or what if this happens? It's not respectable. It's not appropriate. It's huh. not all these things. And the really, the really interesting thing on the story-wise is when I then talk to people, lots of different people about it, it's amazing how many parallels there are to other groups um which are not just it's not even about continent or anything like that there are people i know and have found actually um in america who are from certain parts and certain states in america where it's been pretty common they're like well no but there was a lot of pressure actually you're just gonna gonna get married to someone around here and this is what's gonna happen and they didn't really know a way out and if they you know they felt they could do other things 
Um, you know, in the UK, you have it as well. There are issues where, you know, if you're raised in an area where, and I'm, I'm bringing it to America or the UK, but if you're raised in an area where all you know and the only access you have to is the people around you and where that is, and most people never even get to leave the state, probably perhaps not even the county that much right. where you're in, uh, you don't know anything else and you don't have an understanding of what there is there and whether you want something or not or what your actual desire is there. And the real tragedy of it, is that it's not that it never works out, but the real tragedy is the loss of potential. And that's what the film really is about. But the story for me, it's someone who had, as a kid, as a teenager, has all the potential of their entire life to go ahead. You've got everything ahead of you and it gets snatched away because you're told, no, no, you're moved. This is what you're gonna do now. This is what you have to do. And they never have the chance to grow and develop. Are these people of stature that we're talking about? I mean, is it, is it, a, is it a, a, a uh, you know, you get married to either elevate your stature or, uh, the individual that you're marrying needs to elevate their stature. The, the people that are the real life people of your film, is, is that an element or are they just everyday people or even below? In, in that case, it wasn't anything to do with that at all. It was just everyday, just everyday people. It wasn't, it wasn't like families coming together. It wasn't this. It was just standard. It was tradition. It was accepted that this is, this is just how it's done and everybody always does it. And that's what it is. So let me ask, I mean, and just to get us a little on the kind of the legal topic and the challenges you face. Mm. So, so to me, it sounds like challenge number one is getting life rights, right, from her permission and then permission from everybody else involved. Did you shoot this as a documentary? Was that the challenge or is this a fic kind of a fictional retelling? Like what direction did, and what challenges did you face in terms of IP? Because I mean, again, anytime you're taking somebody's personal story, did you use the real name? So those are, these are the questions that I have from a, from a, lawyers and say, and the creative process, it's interesting. Um, I told you earlier, I do a panel at Sundance every year and we have all these producers and writers on the panel and it's called Legal Challenges in Independent Film. 90% of the show is, well, let me tell you about my film. Let me tell you about what happens in my film in yeah. the creative process. But the panel is called Legal Challenges. We get to the legal challenges, but it takes, and certainly we've got to talk about the background so people are interested for sure. But what are the challenges that you faced or the, the challenges you foresee uh, that are coming up? And then maybe we can talk about how you have dealt with them or will d deal with them. Yeah, and that'd be great. And, and you're completely right. And there is a real advantage to being a lawyer as well when you do this. Yeah. Because, yeah, you do understand that you could, there's a lot of stuff just doesn't matter. It's yeah. just irrelevant. It's not irrelevant. I mean, certainly well, people are interested in it and the backstory is super important, but there is like, oh, it's true. from a lawyer's perspective, well, legally, it doesn't really matter whether she was your friend or not your yeah. friend. Did you get something signed? Exactly. That's right. what the producers have. Right. Get, get the film made. The lawyer's hat is protect, protect, protect. Yeah. So let's put the producer's hat on. <laughs> yeah. We'll put the producer's hat on you and the lawyer's hat on you. No, completely. We'll do that. So uh, yeah, so you're completely right. So first thing I thought is obviously option rights, got to have the person on board. So what happened in her? Story is a little bit unique as well in terms mm. of elements, which I, I won't go into here. But the um, but because of that, that's what drew me to it. It isn't just someone who was forced out of this. There's a little right. more to it. And uh, and so I went and asked her if she would give me the story, and she did. And I she wrote up an outline initially. And my advice: wow. if, any, if anyone's trying to do it, my advice would be to try to bring the person on board as much as you can, because as you say, it's about life rights. You have to respect that person. And you have to get them on there because being producer slash lawyer, you want them to be, you know, you want their story, and you want control of it. But at the same time, you also want them to play, play ball and to be amicable. So did she sign it, ultimately sign a release giving you the rights or giving the produ production company the rights? Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's wow. giving that. Yeah. And what's, well, and, and what I did though is I, and in this case, and this isn't going to apply to everybody because in this case, she, 
she especially didn't want to, she doesn't want her name on it and she doesn't want it to be immediately traced to her in that I way. I see. Because there's still family. It's not that she's ashamed so or anything. So it's she's anonymized. Like, You've changed the names. It's the story, but it's an anonymized version precisely. of the story. I and see. I've okay. also taken it as a bit of a slice of the period. So I see. in terms of doing it, yeah. So what I'm not doing is doing a kind of, all right, start from childhood and work the way through. It's taken from a particular spot in time. And I've taken a lot of liberties with a lot of things that are in there. I've gotcha. changed a lot of stuff. And so to make sure she was okay, I actually wrote a short film screenplay for it. Very short, it's about 10 pages. And to show this is what I'm thinking to do yeah. with the feature. Flat outline kind of thing. Precisely. Yeah. And sent it to her and I said, are you okay with me if I take this direction? It's very different to you. And it's very different to all these things. And also, I also made it clear, this is a narrative. So as you're writing it or developing it, it may change a lot more. Mm -hmm. It's not designed to reflect exact moments of the life. So I had a certain advantage with this one. You're not making like concussion or something like that where right. they have to, you've got to really reflect the people that are there. In this case, I actually have got the license to kind of do what right, I want with the character. it's a fictionalized account of Precisely. a real story. Yeah. So, she, so she's a collaborator with you in the essence of the production and, and contributing her story and having signed off on life story rights to the extent that that's applicable. But is she also a collaborator with you as a co-author? I mean, are you guys, have you guys... You have a co-written. She doesn't want a traceable. I'm yeah, guessing yeah. she's not in the credits. Exactly. No, <laughs> she no. a pseudonym or something. So that would actually yeah, be another yeah. contract issue, right. right? Your agreement to keep her involvement confidential. Yeah, which is actually, and that's a good question. So, in fact, you guys could maybe give me some extra because I've, I've got, well, I've got a clear idea on how I want to do it from a legal mm. perspective, but I'm not an entertainment lawyer. So the question is this: so we've got her. She's given. She's giving the release. She's giving. She's happy to allow that to go. And of course, at the beginning of any situation, as anybody knows. At the beginning of the thing, everyone gets on really well. Everyone's right. friends and it's all great. Um, and, she's, and she's done that and I will be very respectful mm -hmm. to what she wants out of this. But at the same time, I think she, my view is that I think she deserves to have a credit on there. It won't be a co-author co or co-writer because of the nature of the contribution, but to have some kind of recognition. I think a pseudonym would probably work if that's acceptable, but... Or you could do a production credit or something like that with her real name, but you know, then that, that that's up to her. Precisely. I, I, think, yeah. I think you need a waiver from her at least saying, you decide what you want to do. I'll offer you X, Y, or Z. Right. And then you're giving you need a complete indemnification liability release right. for whatever comes of this. The attribution then um, wouldn't go to her as a co-author uh, in the writing form or in, in the creative aspect. It would just go to hers kind of like. Um, involved with the again the collaboration and the concept of the film and, and the overall uh, I guess what she's bringing to the film outside of the creative process because if she was involved in the creative process and the writing like uh, um, you know reading over a script and and something more perhaps than fine tuning hmm. you might get into a situation where um, there would be claims of some sort of copyright ownership. Uh, Wait, and so you could have the copyright ownership. I would get it regardless. I would get an assignment of copyright from her. If she's participating at all in editing the script because she does become a copyright owner in part, and she, you could register it, her as an author as a Jane Doe. You can register under a pseudonym as anonymous. The U.S. Copyright Office allows for that. And the Berne Convention recognizes it, of course, in the U.K. I was going to say, as yeah, well, the UK, so. right. Yeah, and the copyright laws here, are, of course, extend from the Queen of Anne, right? The Queen Anne documents way back when and yeah. in the U.K., so uh, yeah, very, very similar. Right. They do. But I would say, though, in copyright in the U.S., there are some big differences. And I think and, and well, we have a statutory scheme and yeah. enforcement provisions and attorney's fees, which you guys had a case in the UK against Disney and you don't have those. No, we don't. Um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, nor do you have work rule. for hire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nor do you have the American rule on attorney's fees.
no. which makes it all very risky. <laughs> well, that's, that's right. So the English role in attorney's oh, fees yeah. makes challenging Disney quite quite challenging. It can be. Yeah. 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 We uh, every time I showed up for that case in the UK, Disney had roughly six barrister and three or four solicitors and corporate counsel there. <laughs> Wow, if, if we lose, that's a really expensive <laughs> yeah. hour that we just spent in court. So um, sort of interesting. Anyway, sorry, we digress. So, <laughs> so we know roughly the background of your project. Where are you in the production process? How far along are you? Sure. So I'm in early development. Okay. Um, I've actually, so I've just finished the first draft of the, of the screenplay, which will um, need a, a ton of work because it's a first draft, always does. But um, I've got actually two potential investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of whom in particular really wants to come on board in a capacity as well, uh, to partner. And he's very open as to how he comes on board. He's very much, look, this is, he's a businessman who, um, who does various different ventures, very nice guy. Um, he loved the concept when I talked to him initially and it came out by accident and it turned out that he had almost invested in film a few years ago. Um, and then, and then didn't cause he didn't buy into the team and the concept, but he loved this. He's been interested in it for several months now. As it's starting to progress, he, he said, well, look, I want to be involved. And this is what I can bring, but where, where would you need me, essentially, in that? What capacity would that be? How would that go? Um, and, and then another person who's interested in investing, really just financially. They're like, okay. oh, this is something I'm interested in. I, I appreciate it may not make money, but I'm willing to go into it. Are you going equity, non-equity? Like, how, what are you doing for actors? Um, what are you doing for... So I understand financing. Have you thought about where you're going to film it and what credits you can get and production schedule? Because that's another thing. Those credits, I don't know if you know, but they go away very quickly. They get signed up for very quickly and you have to kind of jump on those, those regional shooting credits and film credits early. Um, so have you thought about any of that or is that, is that too much? No, I, so it's not too much at all. So I have thought about it. I think the, um, so in all of us, and again, when you're a lawyer, obviously the first thing you do with everything is like, you say, risk, risk, risk. What's money, 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 risk, risk, risk. Where's the thing? What's going to come out? How do you cover yourself? Which how do you protect good. it? Do that. You have a huge advantage. Which is great. Yeah, yeah, which is great. There's a lot yeah. of stuff that comes out, which I think obviously, but at the same time, this is, you know, the stuff I've done before has been much smaller. This is mm. the first time that it's had uh, sort of real levels of investment in terms of coming in. And, and budget wise, we're not talking big budget. It's not huge. It's definitely going to be under the kind of SAG kind of requirements, which is sort of two and a half million. Mm-hmm. Definitely going to be smaller than that. So it's not that, but it's still significant. Thing and it's bigger than that. So the honest truth is, I'm entering territory that I don't know, and so, so probably non-equity actor. I mean, I don't know if you if you sign somebody who's big, then you might end up. Well, yeah, and I think the rules. So if you go with SAG, I believe the rules are that um, if you're under under 2.5 million in terms of budget, then actually the the standard scales don't apply. Right. So you can negotiate directly with the person. So in other words, you. So the goal would be to find an actor with a name or some kind right. of profile that will move the needle from a distribution perspective or a marketing perspective and then have them come on board and because they like the concept and they think that it's a worthy project they will do it for far less than their usual fee to be which is which is how i mean it's, when you go to sundance it's how so many of these or not so many but a fair number of indie films get oh, yeah. people who have got awards or have got big profiles and they'll show up because they're like well you know i can go for two weeks i'll do shooting of whatever it's something really interesting or it appeals to me, or I think it might be nominated for something. And they do that and they are willing to waive their fee and they can do that because under the SAG rules. Because you're under the production limits for SAG. Yeah. Well, one of the technical things, uh, just kind of jumping back a little bit, you said you were looking, you actually described two different individuals. One's potentially an investor, what we would call a passive investor, and the right. other is an active investor who may not be an investor at all, depending upon how much activity is yeah. involved. So from a technical standpoint, 
um, you know, an investor is an, is an individual or an entity that provides uh, financial backing, expecting a return based upon someone else's activity is the typical definition. And then we can go into real minutiae about whether they're qualified investors or non-qualified investors. But regardless, in either case, if someone's dependent upon the actions of a third party or another party to bring a return on their investment, meaning get their money paid back and then some sort of premium on top of that, let's say it's 10% or 5% or whatever the, the quote unquote consideration is. Um, because of that trust, it's kind of a, it, it, well, it is, it's a fiduciary position. You know, things like we were talking about earlier about having all of your rights lined up correctly are become ultimately important because of, of, of that fiduciary relationship. For example, let's say, and it's not in your case, but I've heard of it happening before. Let's say that a, um, someone becomes a co-writer on a project. Uh, someone is interested in, in putting money into the project. Money comes into the project that's from an investor status, meaning you know whatever this producer is doing, that's how the investor is going to get payback. And uh, the writers blow up and, and uh, the film is stopped. That's the worst thing that can right. happen to mm -hmm. a film, either yeah. at the production stage or at the distribution stage or not even able, being able to offer the film for distribution because some of the early paperwork wasn't taken care of, some of the technical aspects, the boring stuff, which is what lawyers are hired to do. So not, now, not only are you, let's say it has gone all the way up to distribution and the dist distributor gets a cease and desist or some sort of an injunction in place, you're beholden, beholden in liability not only to the distributor, but to the investor and potentially the government regulatory bodies, both state and federal in the case of the United States that may be applied. So it's important to take care of that early paperwork. Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you guys this then, just something I think that everybody who watches Black Letter, I try to come up with, what are the three big takeaways for independent film production from a, a legal business perspective? The three things that you can't screw up. And I'm using like G-rated words today, but you know what I'm saying. In the film industry, we might use an F-bomb for that. But what are the three things you can't screw up absolutely that are important? From, you know, between, the, between the two of you what, do you, what do you think comes out on top? I want to hang to the, the scenario you gave me of a potential mm -hmm. uh, true life story type of scenario when someone gets involved. The reason I asked earlier on, why did, did, did she give up Final Cut rights is because the Final Cut rights have to be given to the distributor. They're going to require them right. or, it's, or it's dead. Project yep. is dead. So that's a good one. So final cut rights, no matter what the project is, you have to reserve them to the production studio that owns the rights. I mean, maybe maybe bundle that. I don't know. And you guys tell me what you think. But I, number one thing is own all of the rights own all to the rights. everything. Sure. Copyrights, cut rights. Something that came up at, at my panel last year were screen credits. Like you know, make sure you've pre-negotiated those. Apparently, one of these uh, one of these films that ended up at Sundance last year, that one of the Producers was like, yeah, and we had a huge fight over who got to be screen credit by themselves oh, and who had card, to share single, credit, single cards. Right, right. It was a huge deal and apparently yeah, yeah. delayed distribution of the film because the, the, the fairly famous actors actually that we're talking about that were in this film, ones that I've heard of, which means they must sure, be sort of sure. famous because yeah. I know no one, <laughs> um, but that held up the whole thing. So I think every, I guess make sure every I is dotted and T is crossed with respect to rights and then a rights Bible. That's the other thing I've run into, right? Where in the background, like there's a Hertz sign or something, oh, and right. you know somebody's getting stabbed in front of it or something. You kind of have to work out those things. So own all of the rights and clear all of your IP. Is that one big bundly thing? Um, I would say Is that two bundly. That's one A and one B. Okay, going to bundle them. <laughs> all right, so that's one and two maybe. So what's so one is own all of the rights, and then what's two? 
own all of the final cut rights and copyrights. What's two? Sure. Clearance? Well, clearance is certainly, yeah, because, you know, but you maybe, were talking about earlier, own all the rights. Um, uh, when I was an uh, in-house counsel at National Geographic, I was director of business and legal affairs there. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, well, you know, it's well known that- But lemurs always give you releases. Lemurs, right? Lemurs. Always give you releases. <laughs> Only <laughs> lemurs. No, those are the easy ones. The, uh, the, <laughs> the, the contracts say- <laughs> The pandas were designed. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> You will put in China. You will deliver to us a project that has nothing but uh, wholly owned rights, right? Well, inevitably, the producer is going to stick in some acquired footage or some acquired music instead of original music or right. original footage. Yep. Um, and so there's a whole uh, there's a whole clearance process for that. But yes, clearances and uh, you know if if you if you have a movie and you want to distribute the movie in perpetuity and you enter into a distribution contract for the distribution of that movie in perpetuity. But your acquired footage rights or your acquired music rights only have a ten-year license. Oh. Then uh, that can mess things up. So you also have to have the rights tracking. Uh, okay, so maybe that's so one A is own all of the rights. One <laughs> one B. What'd you say? One one is own one. all of the rights. One. Two is clear all of the rights and have the mashup. So what's three? What's our big third, Mikhail? We'll, we'll call on you. What's the most important thing from you've produced other films? You've been at you're an attorney. What do you think is the third most important thing to do as a producer, not from a creative perspective, but from a, here's the thing you can't screw up. Yeah, I would, and I would say, and it, it kind of feeds into what you guys have said already, mm -hmm. but as a general thing for people, I'm saying this because most people who do this obviously aren't attorneys and don't have a background right, in, sure. is just make sure every piece of paperwork from the absolute beginning mm -hmm. is completely tied up and totally yeah. nailed down and you've got it totally sorted. It kind of, it's a broad one. I know I'm cheating a little bit by encompassing everything, but- Make sure you do everything right. Make sure everything right. <laughs> but I can't overstate enough because, and people don't appreciate it. And it comes down, as you said, I was actually going to pick up a little bit on clearances, but as part of it, scoring, mm -hmm. really important. Any songs you use, really yep. important. As you say, any background that you've got in there, any extras, anyone that happens to be walking past, anyone that happens to go and do it. I have a story. I had a client, a band in DC was my client. And this huge Hollywood production films trailer comes out on TV. It's like on TV and at the end of films and it's, you'll, you'll know the film. I don't know if I can say it because we settled. Um, but they watched, one of the band members watched the trailer and it was their song. And they had, they had an agent who was an unlicensed, not really an agent, who had sold the rights to their music to this company without the band's permission oh, wow. and paid them nothing on it. And it was like... It, Big enough that it would, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars sale for trailer credit, right? And they found out because they saw it on TV. So when you say own all the rights, that studio is actually in trouble because the agent didn't have the right to do that, and they didn't check with the copyright holders, and the agent did not. So sort of interesting, but that was a big studio that messed that up. We've shut down film productions for Sony for a sweater. Oh wow! For for a, a Christmas sweater, right. and Sony was like, you know. The production company said they had the rights. So they just pointed the finger and then we went to that production company and they didn't. But well, you, anyway, you know, The so, Hangover 2 got in trouble um, as a movie. And I think it's sort of the public domain. They got, no, The Hangover 1, I think, got in trouble because um, there was Mike Tyson's, Mike Tyson shows up in The Hangover as a cameo. Yes, that's right. And his, tattoo. his tattoo. Right. That was that's a big case. Big issue. Yeah, so they didn't right. have the rights to his right. tattoo, the tattoo artist. Yeah. And, yeah. and let's say, and it doesn't really matter. I'm going to emphasize. It doesn't really matter if the if the litigant, the plaintiff that brings the cases like that, wins or loses. The fact yeah. is, is that they've interrupted okay. something, and it's costing a lot of people money. And so, so clear that out. You know, it's not a matter really sometimes of winning or losing. Yeah, it's the fact that you're in litigation at all. And I'll tell you guys what movie the sweater one was when we're 
not on camera, but you'll be kind of surprised. Yeah. Well, Same with the music ones. Just interesting what yeah. rights that even huge studios screw up. So, yeah. so I guess, I guess really yours, and I think I, I, I agree. I always tell people, you can't go backwards and get this stuff done. You can't finish production, go to distribution, say, oh, right, we need to get the copyright on that. We need to get the music clearance on that after it's done. You have to get it before you put it in. Yeah, that's not good for me. Um, you don't, you don't want to do so, that. So. so I guess early on. Tom, just to reiterate now, let's go through the one through three to make sure we have these rights worked out. All right, the, the three takeaways. One, clear all the rights. Make sure your rights are cleared, right? Okay. Two, own all the rights. And three, get all the paperwork in order right at the beginning and keep it in order. But this, I know it sounds it obvious. Much more exciting than that. I, 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 well, I don't know. One, this two, is three. A, well, I want some exciting points. I don't mm. know. Man. The third of a trilogy is always a bit of a, a flop, isn't it? It's tricky. No, so it depends. I, mean, I, do that one. I mean, no, we can I, make um, it more exciting. Yeah. No, I, I mean, look, dot I, your eyes and cross your T's. Yeah. I mean, or dot look, your T's and cross your eyes. I yeah. mean, just do both. I mean, look, what, what I could say is if you want to do something diverge from that, um, and you want to if you want to say something separate, which is a bit more specific, I would say make sure that you have all of your performers uh, aligned exactly contractually from the beginning and at the end. Because when you're shooting, and again, this always happens, you always shoot and stuff goes wrong and there's a bit of a delay or there's an issue or someone shows up and they don't behave the way you thought they were going to behave mm -hmm. or you had something like that and the actors will turn up and people who, who make any kind of film or theater or anything like that will know that people don't, it's not everyone shows up for a month beforehand, hangs out, all get on really well, and then you do it. People will turn up three quarters of the way through. Absolutely. They'll be there for two days, and they'll be in. And when you do a short film or an indie film, sometimes right. they're there for a day. And they yeah. come in, and like we need them for, we have four hours to actually get stuff with them, and you do it. And if things aren't aligned, and it's not tied up, and it does that, and you lose that time, then you lose that shot. And, you right. and when you say things like that to me, in the back of my mind, I'm going, okay, actors on set two days. That means you had a letter of intent earlier, and the letter of intent doesn't suffice. You have to have an actual agreement in place, and the investor won't put money in until there's a letter of intent in place. It has to be binding. The actor doesn't want to sign a binding contract unless you have money in an escrow. I mean, there's a Catch whole, 22. There's a whole litany Catch of things behind, yeah. these, behind these statements that you're making, the huge leverage involved. And yeah. uh, it's a complex business, but you know what? It can be overdone. It's, overdone. it's overcome every day. Independent filmmakers are great, usually very savvy people, but they need good support as well. Yeah, no, you do. And I go, not to, so, not so to over promote the law firm, but I would say, and I always say this, in every business endeavor, anyone that's doing, any of my friends, I'm always like, you, you know, you can do a certain amount by yourself, you can research things, you can get friends and stuff, yeah. but it comes to a point where you need to actually just stump up and pay it. And fees for people like lawyers or other consultants that are giving that advice is worth it in the long run. Yeah. No, you, you'll make your money back. I always say that too. So to close out, I, I think we've got our three big takeaways. Uh, do what you do best. If you make movies, make the movie. Don't do the law, legal part yourself. Um, thanks for joining us, guys, today on the podcast. Thank I you appreciate very much. it. Thank you. Thank you, everybody out there who's watching and listening for joining us again on Black Letter. Download us wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, the uh, Play Store, and wherever else you get your podcast. Look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for joining us in this entertainment law uh, show. Have a great week. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast.